0: to Breaking In and Building Up, a podcast through Madison College where we explore the personal stories of women breaking into, working in, and leading change in non-traditional occupations such as STEM and the trades. We also explore current trends, challenges, equity gaps, and how education at all levels can help to support underrepresented populations to achieve their goals, regardless of gender or other identity markers that marginalize them in these fields. I am your host, Sarita Field. I am a career and employment advisor at Madison College, where I work to support students in programs where their gender represents 25% or less of that occupation's national aggregate workforce, also known as non-traditional occupations. Today, we are speaking with Jen Roman, Program Director of our Emergency Medical Services Program here at Madison College, Fire Captain with Madison Fire, and Champion Volunteer with Girl Scouts. Let's dive into her experience as a woman leader in a male-dominated field, and her efforts to make a lasting impact that not only invites more women into these spaces, but makes it a better experience for them as well. How did she make the move from acting to working in fire protection? How has she helped to change the way pregnancy is seen and addressed in fire service? How is she inspiring the next generation of young women to be leaders in any field they choose? Today, we explore all that and more. Handshake is the number one
1: way students find jobs and connect with employers. Students enrolled in one-degree college credit are automatically registered and may use single-service sign-on to access this site. They just need to finish the registration process and complete a profile. In addition to jobs, students will find a job fair, events, internships, and on-campus opportunities, plus be able to join with peer messaging. We need you to help us encourage students to use this site. Contact
0: Current Employment Services at Madison Area Technical College, 608-243-4598, or email us at currentemployment at madisoncollege.edu.
1: any of your students curious about internships? Do they need assistance in finding internships? If so, send them to our Internship Advisors in Career and Employment Services. Our Internship Advisors can help students understand internships and how to create an internship search along with ideal times to apply to opportunities, review or help create application materials, practice for interviews, and so much more. Students can connect with us by calling the CES front desk at 608-243-4598 or by self-scheduling an appointment navigate.
0: All right, Jen, so tell us a little bit about your current position here at Madison College.
1: Currently, I am serving as the program director uh, for EMS in um, the Human and Protective Services area Um, after working for the college since 1995. I started as a part-timer and then was a full-time instructor, and now have moved into the administrative role.
0: And in addition to being the EMS uh, program director here at Madison College, you're also the fire captain at Madison Fire, and you volunteer extensively with Girl Scouts can you tell us a little bit about your position with Madison fire and
1: Madison fire? I serve as a fire captain in the EMS division and our responsibilities um, include training and licensing of all of our personnel around 400. Um, when we include true X fire, um, in addition to all of our assets and inventory for EMS, so that, you know, includes four by4 four bandages up to you know our forty thousand dollar monitors. Um, so I, I serve in an administrative position there now as well. Um, I've been a paramedic since I was hired in 1998 so I do still ride on the ambulance on occasion, just not every day. Um, and of course you know with the city mass and fire department we are all firefighters and EMS professionals. So it's been a long and happy career at Madison Fire Um, with the Girl Scouts. I a long time ago, so like 1989, a friend of mine said, hey, you want to buy some Girl Scout cookies? And I said, tell me more about this. You know, what do you what do you do in Girl Scouts and what's that like? And um, I started volunteering with her Girl Scout troop. Her name is Bonnie. And um, I just really loved it. I love what the organization stands for. So um, since that time, since 1989, I have served in many capacities as a volunteer for Girl Scouts, uh, troop leader and cookie chair and uh, event planner and all those sorts of things. And currently I am the chair of Camp Hero, which is a, a camp that sort of combines my EMS and fire experience with Girl Scouts to bring something really amazing to the girls in our community. That's
0: a lot. Uh, how do you balance all of that?
1: Great question. <laughs> I think I've heard um, the phrase, when you want something done, ask a busy person, because we are really, really, really good at time management. Um, and I'm lucky that you know my jobs and also my interest in Girl Scouts sort of overlap um, so, you know, some, some things are very separate and other things are similar and, and overlap that. But I also want to share, share a story about that particular question. I had taken my Girl Scout troop to meet Justice Shirley Abramson, and the girls were asking questions and she was answering them so graciously. And I asked her the, this question, how do you balance all of that? you know, a, a mom and family and work. And she said, well, that's sexist. And then went on to point out to me that I probably would not have asked that question had I been speaking to a male justice. Um, and so it's it's one of those experiences that Girl Scouts gave me that have um, helped to form me into the person that I am today and give me perspective.
0: That's incredible. And yeah, those are those, uh teaching moments um, that help to, to frame not only the way that we see women's work, but also how we see our own personal work. And I'm curious to know, were you raised here in Wisconsin? What's your family background? And um, what were sort of your first notions of what you wanted to be, you know, quote unquote, when you grew up?
1: I am from Wisconsin. I grew up in the town of Mount Pleasant, which is in Racine County, uh, out uh, between three farm fields. You know, my first job was uh, shining tomatoes for the the neighbor farmers' uh, vegetable stand, um, and uh, and it was a great childhood. You know, the go out and play on the tracks was a real thing for us because that's what we did. You know, we we had endless hours of creativity and fun and play. Um, I I would say, you know, my first inklings about what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, looking back now, um, where I always had sort of an interest in safety. My mom worked in a factory and they would have contests, you know, to draw safety posters and that kind of stuff. And I, I always had an interest in that. Um, but when I'm absolutely honest with myself, I always wanted to be a teacher. As soon as I knew what a teacher was, I would role play that, and I still have a grade book that I kept for all my stuffed animals and dolls, so Fluffy and Barbie and Pinky and <laughs> all of my stuffed animals are in there and have attendance grades and math and reading scores, um, So, so it's, you know, It's not really a surprise that that's where my passion lies in education. Um, And and I came to it through a vocation, which was not exactly what I was planning.
0: I know from speaking with you previously that it wasn't necessarily a a direct route to that career goal.
1: I'm actually jealous of people who know exactly what they wanna do in adulthood and then do it, because that, that was not my journey at all. Um, when I was in high school, I got really involved with drama. I had an amazing teacher, Mr. Bodhi, um, who was very good at helping kids figure out who they are and what they wanted to be. And I, I love to be on the stage. I'm actually a big time introvert. I'm so shy and people are surprised to hear that. Um, so, So acting was sort of my my outward um, venting if you will Um, and so when I was in high school I decided that I would like to pursue acting as a career and I had to audition um, at various schools and I was accepted and subsequently attended uh, DePaul University Goodman School of Drama in Chicago and um, while I am not an actor anymore maybe in the classroom I'm a bit of an actor um, the, the experience in Chicago living in a big Midwestern city, like literally peeled the blinders off of me, um, and helped me to have a, a much bigger perspective about the world and about myself. So I, I, I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, but I, you know, I left Chicago, not having finished my degree. I lived in Milwaukee for a little while and thought I would go to school at UW-Milwaukee. And. That I didn't work out either. And I actually followed a man to Madison and um, and ended up landing here. And um, it was, um, you know, the, the safety thing that kind of got me into EMS. I became a dispatcher for Shorewood Hills and I was hanging out with EMTs. And they're like, hey, why don't you go to school? And I did, and I loved it. And one thing led to another. so. Um, I started teaching with the college as back then we called them lab assistants. So I was helping with EMT classes. And then um, a colleague at Madison College, a teacher, said, hey, you're really good at this stuff. You should, you should become a paramedic. Um, so I did. I um, quit my job, found out I was pregnant, and then uh, started paramedic school. Probably not the order I would have chosen, but that's how it goes. Um, but when I, when I graduated from paramedic school, um, I started looking for a job. And at that time, leaving Madison was not a possibility because of our, our family situation. Um, so Madison fire was the only gig in town that had paramedics at the time. And I thought, what the heck? So I applied without knowing anything about firefighting and, um, some pretty silly assumptions about it in fact. Um, and as I went through the process, I was both excited and terrified that I would get hired. So, as I said before, it all turned out okay. And now, um, I've been with the fire department for 23 years and have been, uh, in EMS for over 30.
0: What an incredible journey. And what has your experience been like being a female firefighter and captain?
1: That is a difficult question to answer. So, um and I can come at it from a couple of different ways so one is it is an incredibly fulfilling career all throughout my career I, you know getting paid to help people like that that's the dream job for me and being involved with um medicine and learning so much I mean firefighters really know something about everything um, and they, they are incredible people, they really are. They're, they're people who, who put others um, ahead of themselves and that's been wonderful. Um, but I also have to talk about the other side of it and that is um, you know, the isms. There, there's only 4% um, of females in the firefighting profession nationwide. Here in Madison right now, we're at 11%. And when you are such a tiny minority in a larger group, there are a lot of things to overcome and because of my gender, I'm a minority in that um, field of work and it, you know there's there is something every day that I have to overcome and sometimes it's you know minor like, the, <laughs> We only get three choices of pants on our clothing allowance because the men have three choices of pants and that's seen as equal. And it doesn't matter that men have four basic body types and women have 14. So so there, there are, you know, minor things like that, like your pants. Um, and then there are major things like up until recently, we didn't have a formal policy for women who got pregnant and then um, uh, were breastfeeding their babies afterward and firefighting is dangerous like we come into contact with a lot of different chemicals even you know our turnout gear and such um and um the pregnancy was being handled on a case-by-case basis sometimes it was treated as an illness sometimes it was treated as an injury Um, and you know i mean that's a big deal now i'm happy to say we finally do have a comprehensive reproductive health policy that considers all gender
0: I'm really curious uh, to ask you a little bit more about that. What is the difference between treating something as an illness or an injury? And how was this new policy formulated? And do you feel that the policy is adequate?
1: Well, because firefighting and also policing um, are unusual jobs, um, for women, there had not been a, a lot of thought given to what, what should we do when a woman chooses to get pregnant. Um, throughout the pregnancy, and then also afterward, like, you know, if you're breastfeeding and you have to express milk can, you know, what are you going to do when the, when the bells go off and you have to go to a fire or an EMS call. Um, so th- the problem was recognized, um, but the existing policies only covered illness or injury. So if somebody um, got cancer, um, you know, they, they could be covered by their sick time and disability and um, uh, time out, FLSA and you know those sorts of things. If a person was injured on the job, there were um, there was a policy to help them, Uh, to have recovery time while being paid and you know get back to the job but there was nothing for pregnancy and in pregnancy um you know it's it's up to the the person who is pregnant and physician to decide when it's time to get off the line to to get out of the the danger zone if you will and that can be a long time right that could that can be nine months um and um that we just really didn't have a way for a woman to do that without um, potentially losing her job or risking the pregnancy, and that there, you know, we did a lot of research when we were forming the policy, um, and there is higher risk for um, women uh, who are firefighters and their pregnancies. Um, so what would happen is if um, if a if a woman and a man started the job at the exact same time and had the exact same path um career path if the the man and the woman um the only difference in their career path was that the woman got pregnant at some point in her career the man would finish his career well ahead financially etc than the woman because she was being forced in pregnancy to um to be moved to a 40 hour work week, which accumulates vacation and sick time at a slower rate, be forced back onto our 48 hour work week schedule. Um, so she would burn the, the sick time and vacation at a faster rate than what she was earning it, um, be forced into disability, when out of family leave sick time, and, um, and then once on disability loses seniority as well. So, I mean, it, it had big implications for anybody who chose um, chose to get pregnant. So um, one day I, I got a phone call from our chief of personnel and he said, hey, uh, Vic over at the fire department and um, a guy from human resources and I are working on a, a pregnancy policy for police and fire. And we thought we would invite you in. And I said, wait a minute, three men are, <laughs> a policy about reproduction for women? Like, okay, so do I even need to say it? Um, and he was really great. He said, you know what, I, what I want you to do is pull people together um, and come up with something. So we did, we we uh, got men and women from the police and the fire department together. And we worked on a policy um, for, for both departments that would work for the city, work for the departments, work for the individuals. Um, give a clear guideline about what to do um, in the case of pregnancy and lactation and um, provide enough flexibility so that it it didn't interrupt the workflow that police and fire need to have. So, uh, you know, in my whole career I've had some really great accomplishments, but that one I'm pretty proud of.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And how does the policy mitigate that challenge that you previously mentioned of sort of not penalizing a woman's career trajectory for being pregnant? It finally
1: recognizes that pregnancy is neither an illness or an injury. And um, so so it allows women to um, work a 40-hour schedule in an administrative role without losing the benefits of the 48-hour schedule and vacation, sick time and such. Um, so, so basically is providing work that is not out in the field, uh, to women who are pregnant. So, so for example, um, she'll come out of the, the station work and come up and work in EMS office with, with, uh, my staff and I, um, for the duration of their pregnancy. So, um, so it's taken away that, that career trajectory, um, and the, the off-road that women were being forced onto. Um, And has put them back on the road to be able to um, retire at the same point with the same benefits um, as men do.
0: It seems like, you know, you had mentioned that being um, a great accomplishment of yours, but what an incredible accomplishment that is affecting not only the careers, but the retirement of any woman um, to join. What is the unique experience of a female in your field? And uh, as a leader in your field, what is unique about your experience as a female leader?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is how I communicate. So I have grown up in an organization, Girl Scouts, where we talk and we come to consensus about what we want to do and how we want to move forward. And in the fire service, I had to adapt my communication style from what do you think to you're going to do this at this time and this way. Um, So a a way more direct um, style of communication. So so that's just one thing of many that I've had to adjust to as a leader in the fire service. my male colleagues are wonderful people they really really are but they have never experienced life as a woman and they've never experienced firefighting as a woman woman or um as a a leader right they they just don't have that perspective no more than i have the perspective of being a man and so um i feel like a lot of my days are trying to get the majority group to listen. Listen to what we have to say. Listen to us when we say our pants don't fit and it's not good enough for a 24-hour shift. Listen to us when we say we can't throw a ladder that way. We need a different technique. Help us learn something different. I um, I read this great book. It's called The Loudest Duck by um, uh, Lisa Lizwith. Liz Worth, sorry, oh my goodness, I should should know her name. Um, But in the book, she presents an analogy that I think um, illustrates what I experience as a minority in the firefighting profession. So she, she suggests if an elephant and a mouse were forced to live in a room together, what does the elephant need to know about the mouse? And she suggests probably nothing. I mean, the elephant might be curious about the mouse, and the elephant might really want to get to know the mouse, but the elephant really doesn't need to know about it. What does the mouse need to know about the elephant? Everything, because it's very survival depends on it. So when the mouse decides that it's going to cross the room, it needs to to strategize and think, well, if I stick close to the walls, it's going to take me longer but at least I won't get stepped on. And so so as a minority in this very strong majority group, I live my life strategizing everything. And it's stressful and it's tiring, and it influences me sometimes in in a negative way and in environments where I don't want to be strategizing. Um, And I wonder, what it would be like to be an elephant and not have to think so hard every single day and you know the 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 analogy is great because elephants are born as elephants they're going to be an elephant and m- mice are born as mice and they are mice and they can't change their form so what do we have to do to get elephant and mice to be together work together and accomplish great
0: things together So how do you strategize in those situations where you're attempting to be heard? Uh, For example, the the pants question. So
1: every single thing that I say is calculated and thought out. And sometimes I'll even practice my expression or decide how I'm going to wear my hair when I ask that question like seriously it sometimes it gets down to that oftentimes um my approach is to ask for advice um and and just in general um it it lets people open up to you so it you know you'll have a very different reaction if i walk in and say listen i need pants that fit versus hey i need some advice I, I'm, I'm having an issue with the pants that that we get to choose from, and here's you know here's what I'm experiencing. What do you think we could do about that? Um, and oftentimes that that gets gets us moving down the road together. Um, that strategizing in every single interaction, like it you know if if you say hi, how are you today? My brain starts to strategize. What did you mean by that? <laughs> and it you know that's a ridiculous example, but sometimes like. That's really there, and, and it's a real thing. Um, and I think, you know, as as a teacher, especially, you know, with so many um, young people coming through the EMS and fire programs, um, that we have to help each other recognize that. Because if 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 we all know that that's what's going on, right? I have let you in on my secret about strategizing, then you can help me strategize and I can do the same for you if we're honest with each other about perspectives and that we're fully committed to knowing each other and helping each other. And we have a great opportunity at Madison College to be the first ones to do that. If we ignore that stuff that we know about our industries and let people find out on their own, I think that we're doing our students a disservice.
0: Do you ever feel I mean, because it seems like, you know, you had mentioned how are you going to wear your hair and really thinking through how do you make this approach? Um, Do you feel that that is unique to your position being a woman in this field or is that just sort of great communicative practice? Uh, What are the, I guess, how, how do you modify your behavior specifically as a woman to accomplish your goals?
1: I don't think it's unique to our field. It's just intensified because there are so few women, you know, uh, all of us um, have bias as, and as soon as we see someone or hear someone, we make judgment calls about them. Um, I I remember a fire that I was on um, many years ago and my crew did a great job. Like we, we kicked it. We were awesome and the only feedback that I got about that was from a chief who said your voice is a little too high why don't you work on lowering it right so in radio communication um you know and that's asking me to change something that I I can't change I I have a range in my voice and that's how it is I I was born a mouse I was born a woman you know um so so it, it can be a bit frustrating Um, in that, in that type of communication, when you're asked to change something that is inherently you, Um, I, I think that, um, you know, as a woman in the fire service, that, uh, each one of us in asserting our power, um, building our own confidence and being courageous enough to, to step forward and step up makes it better for all women in the fire service. Um, and like I said, we're really fortunate. We have eleven percent women on our job, and that is not true across the country that you know, I'm still seeing every single day, we have hired our first woman. We have promoted our first woman, and which blows me away because I thought we were well ahead of that, but we're not in the in the fire service. Um, so you know, there are differences between the genders. Um, we are, we are all capable of being firefighters. We, we all could do it. Um, it's just that, you know, I'm gonna do it differently than my male colleagues. And my dream is for us to get to the point where we have gender representation on our department, as well as racial, religious, et cetera. Because when we reflect the community at large, I, I, I think that we do a better job for the community like, I'm, I'm not Asian, I'm a white woman, right? So I have never experienced this world um, as a racial minority. So I need colleagues, I need people in my life to teach me to, to be there when we serve um, people of those communities, that's really important. So um, as a woman in the fire service, it has always been my challenge. Um, to uh, you know, the the trail was already blazed for me. Um, I just made it wider, and I'm hoping that the women that come behind me are able to like pave it and plant flowers and light it up too. We'll get there someday.
0: You make a a really important point regarding you know your position as a as a woman in this field uh, is a position of being a white woman in this field in regards to serving the community, why is it important to reflect the community? How does that change the dynamic of uh, the culture in a fire station or how service is given?
1: Fire and EMS services are personal services. We come to your house, we go inside your house, we take care of your loved ones. We take care of your possessions. We interact with you. We build relationship. Um, and I would also include our police friends um, in this conversation. So if I have only ever experienced the world as a white woman, and I have no interest in thinking about other groups, all of my, in, my interactions with the, the community members are going to be as a white woman. And, and I view my perspective as right. We all do. <laughs> so um, so I, I, we need to have um, diversity in our work ranks that reflects the community so that we are better able to serve. I need to understand when a group doesn't want an ambulance because that's not what we do. I need to understand that. And I need to understand that some people are not going to want to talk to a white woman. They would rather talk to my African American male partner, and 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 I got to be okay with that um, because our ultimate goal is to serve the community. And if we're if we're not able to do that, then what are we doing? Why are we
0: even here? We've got to be able to serve the community. How has being a woman? in a male dominated field, um, certainly it's influenced the way that, you know, you see your, your occupation in the field in which you work, but how has it influenced the way that you see the world?
1: If you've never read the book, Half the Sky, read that book, (laughs) because, um, in the world, women are often seen as second, as possessions, as um monetary trade value you know and sometimes not as human beings um and i'm very sensitive to that because because i am living my life as a woman so in every in every place where we where we exist whether that is work or club or your personal life or whatever um what i would say is that we we need to start to be better humanists, right? And love everybody who's a human being. Recognize that we're different. We do have different perspectives and experiences um, and find a way to love that about each other. The, you know, the fire service, like it, it gets pretty intense with the the gender um, disparities. Um, and so, so that is what I think about most often, but in reality, it, it, I mean, it's, it's everything it's, and it's in every interaction that I have on a daily basis. And I know that I, I have a small circle of influence, so it's really hard for me to think about something from a worldwide perspective. Like, what can I do about sex trafficking in another, in another country? Like, what, what can I do about that? Um, but I'm I'm going to live my life so that when I can do something, I do do something, that I make that decision. When I can make it better, I will make it better. And the Girl Scouts say, let's make the world a better place.
0: And so that, that's what I'm trying to do. As you um, mentioned, the, the gender disparities are sort of put into high focus in your field. Um, What would you say are the biggest misconceptions that people, both being uh, your male colleagues um, in the field and uh, the greater public, uh, what are the biggest misconceptions people may have about women in male dominated fields?
1: I'm gonna start my answer with a a story. We were um, out doing inspections. So one of the things that we do is fire prevention. And we go out and we inspect um, public buildings to make sure that you know the smoke detectors are working and the exits aren't blocked and all that kind of stuff. So I was on um, ladder six and we pulled up next to, a or across the street from a building that we were going to inspect, but it was right in front of a playground. And the itty bitties were out there like kindergarten, first graders. And they all came running up to the fence, so excited to fee- see a fire truck. Um, and I stepped off onto the sidewalk and said, Hey kids, how are you today? Are you being safe? You know, that sort of thing. And then I said, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the little boys along the fence answered immediately. And they said, I'm going to be Superman. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be, you know, a a bunch of other, um, uh, expected answers. And the girls didn't answer until I pointed at each one of them and said, what about you? What about you? What about you? And the answers they gave were a dancer and a princess and a hairdresser. And I said, well, what about a firefighter like me? And and they just stood there, their eyes got wide, one of them opened her mouth and I could see them process that. Like it, it, it was as though I had spoken to them in a different language. They did, They had never considered firefighting as a career for them. So if, so if you think about um, what we are fed as far as gender roles from the moment that we are born, um, we ascribe to that and we normalize it. So by the time kids are in kindergarten, um, the research tells us that they have very particular ideas about gender stereotypes um, and roles for boys and for girls. Um, now, thankfully, as kids grow up, we know that if those assumptions are challenged, that they change their minds. So, so that's good. There's hope. But if you think about that in the whole of society, right? Girls are brought up thinking that firefighting is not for women. And boys are brought up thinking that firefighting is not for women. And, and so so those are the assumptions that we all run on. And, and it was my assumption, too. So I'm embarrassed to even share this, but I will. When, when I applied to the Madison Fire Department, my assumption was that firefighters were just big, dumb, white guys who ran into burning buildings because they didn't know better. Now that, like I said, I'm embarrassed to say that because what a horrible assumption to make, right? Um, and I had never explored it to to prove myself different or prove my thinking um, was, was off. So, So unless we're challenged to think about things differently, we never are. So the assumptions follow us, right? The assumption is that women are not as strong as men and therefore should not be firefighters. And it's true, women have less skeletal muscle than men. We we have less muscle mass. So we, if if you paired me with another uh, male person the same size, he would be stronger than me. But that doesn't mean that I can't be a firefighter because we can both get a ladder up next to a building, but we might approach it differently. So that that would be the biggest assumption. It, it, it's the one thing that. Um, people say to me most often is that's fine if you're a firefighter that's cool as long as you can drag me out of a building yep I can and here's the other thing we work as a team so (laughs) you're never going to see any one of us going to a burning building by ourselves we are always teamed up to help each other that's how it is um, constructed and that's how it works in the in the fire field so you know beating beating those assumptions is um um, difficult, particularly in firefighting, uh, you know, women are more accepted in the emergency medical services, you know, it's a caretakers kind of role. Um, but oftentimes we see in pre hospital that that EMSs um, are part of a fire department like Madison fire department. There, there are exceptions to that, but that's, that's the model in much of the United States, especially in, um, larger urban areas. Um, so, you know, we'll keep working on it. Um, I challenge all of you to go to the media and try to find a tough female firefighter in the media. You can watch Chicago Fire for a little while, but they're still all wearing tight pants and t-shirts, you know, and have flowy long hair. Um, but when you see that stuff, like stop and and think, what what what's happening here? Why are they portraying women like that in this show? And you know, you just, you become more aware of, um, of what's happening to us from childhood.
0: I love that story about, um, speaking to those young girls, um, those kindergarten age girls and, uh, you know, sort of mouth agape with the idea that maybe a firefighter could be, uh, an option for them in the future. And I know that Camp Hero, that you champion with Girl Scouts, is an integral and incredible program to help girls to see those options that they may have not considered. The The website says that Camp Hero the goal is that girls at Camp Hero will experience what it's like to be a real first responder. All sessions are led by police officers, firefighters, and emergency medical professionals who volunteer their time every summer to run this camp. So. I would love to hear more about the activities that girls do in this camp. What was the impetus to, to start the camp and tell us a bit more about it.
1: So as I said, Madison Fire is um, very fortunate in the, the high population of women, right? Three times the national average. Um, and that is also the same for our police department. So, you know, we, we live in a, a unique place in that regard. Through my career, um, whenever women saw each other, we were like, "What can we do about this? How do we recruit more people into the fire service?" And there, there's a lot of talk about that at lots of different levels. So among the women and among administrators, because there really is um, a, a desire to to change the workforce. Um, but you know, the the attempts were, you know, not. Not really effective. We would recruit some women, a lot of word of mouth sort of thing. Um, but we weren't addressing the problem, and that that problem is is that kids are conditioned. To think about what they can be when they grow up, from the time that they were little, and so so we we talked about that a lot. Um, I I did quite a bit of research about that, and you know where kids are at uh, in different developmental stages. And um, about um, eleven years ago, I found myself in a position where I had some ascribed power at Madison Fire and had built really great relationships with um, our administrators, our union, and women on the job. Um, My husband is a retired Madison police officer. So um, we had great connections through the police department as well. Um, I was teaching for Madison College all over our district. So I had a lot of friends in fire and EMS and and colleagues that I was seeing on a pretty regular basis. Um, And I had been with Girl Scouts for quite a long time and had developed um, I think into the leader that they wanted me to be. And um, and and I thought, you know what? I can get some people together. And while we may not be able to change the whole world, we're gonna do something right here in, in our area. We can do this. Um, so I, I, I chose people from different walks of life, um, men and women, and I brought them together in a room and I said, okay, so here's the problem, what can we do about it? And that, that group started to brainstorm and they eventually landed on, let's start with an experience for kids so that they can at least think about it. We'll introduce them to the stuff and they can at least think about it. Um, and that idea is what um, generated um, Camp Hero. Camp Hero is uh, experience for for girls um, going into kindergarten all the way through graduated from high school. And we actually do a Camp Hero for Women program um, as well. And, and our, our main objective is to help those girls build their courage their confidence and their character through through the activities that we do at camp while we introduce them to the protective services and so while they may not grow up to be firefighters or police officers or, or emts um, we're giving them life skills that group of founders uh partnered with lots of different people and um so we had professionals in in the protective services working with girl scouts who are experts in all things girls. They even have their own research institute in New York City. Um, and we used all of that information to write curriculum that was relevant, um, that would help us accomplish our goals um, in teaching those girls, um, and, um, and also was really exciting and hands-on stuff. Um, so camp, um, we're, we're about to have our 10th year of camp this coming July um and girls come to camp um and and do things that are um appropriate for their developmental stage and age so the littlest ones the the kindergarten and first graders my favorite session i just love them um they come to camp for a half a day with a trusted adult Um, and then our high schoolers come for a whole week Um, and this year because of covid we're not doing overnight but um in all years past they've they've stayed overnight for that whole week um, and those girls, we we teach them how to use the jaws of life and how to cut apart a car to extricate a victim. Um, they do fire training, police training, EMS training, um, and then we also do life skills training, like cooking and cleaning, because you have to do that in a fire station. Did you know that? They have to know how to clean toilets. Yeah, so we teach them how to do that stuff, too. Um, it's really been a remarkable experience to to be part of that and to be part of a group of people who really do want to make the world a better place. Um, and it can be quite overwhelming to think about all the problems in the world and how to solve them. And you know, maybe someday we'll see sweeping changes and legislation and, you know, think things that can make broad change. Um, but right here, we've we've had great influence. We brought a lot of people together, a lot of people. So, so girls and volunteers and agencies. And um, Madison College has been one of our biggest sponsors in supporting this. Um, we use the, the HPS facilities. Um, uh, Shawna Carter, who's our Dean up until this, this week, has been remarkable and the Deans that came before her. Um, it, it's just been a really, really wonderful experience for everybody. So, so far we've seen about 1200 girls through Camp Hero over our 10 years. And uh, looking forward to to seeing some more.
0: That's truly incredible. Are there any um, experiences or stories that stand out from from that great decade?
1: Yeah, there there's there are a few. One of my favorite stories is Ruby. So Ruby was a middle school kid and she's tiny. I mean, just super super, super skinny and small and when she first came to camp she was exhibiting the behaviors that we often see with our middle school girls so arms across the chest eyes downcast you know really closed position um very you know to herself kind of thing um and then we took her through um one of our stations is um is uh forcing open doors so we give the girls uh, an axe and another tool called a halligan and teach them how to swing the axe and how to force a door open and we literally saw her confidence build in her in her body position and i have this wonderful picture of her with you know her hip kind of swung out and you know this smirk on her face and she's got she's holding the axe across her body and yeah, I, I love that. And we we have those moments all throughout camp every single year. I, I just, I remember that one because of the wonderful picture that we have. Um, but we, we have also have some some great success stories. So um, this year, one of our campers who has, has been at camp all of the years um, uh, that we've done it. And then when she graduated high school, started volunteering for Camp Hero um, she graduated from the fire protection program at Madison College this past spring, and is enrolled in our paramedic program this fall. Um, and I'm really excited for her. Um, one of our other success stories um, is a, a girl who came from another state. So through Girl Scouts, we're able to offer Camp Hero to girls from all over the United States. And in fact, we've we even had a girl from Venezuela come one year. Um, and so, so this young woman has since, um, since graduating from high school, has become a firefighter and EMT and is now employed. Um, and so, so we love to see that happen. Um, but we've also seen girls go on to be RNs and engineers and all that stuff, but they, they come back to us and they say, wow, that, that experience at Camp Hero is really wonderful and integral and, um, you know. I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget the people who cared about me, right? Cause it's all, it, it is all about relationship building. We've also had a, a whole bunch of our volunteers um, eventually get hired um, in services in and around Madison um, and promote up through the ranks. So one of our founders is now a chief at the city of Madison Fire Department, WISA. Um, and we love to see that happen too.
0: With all of your experience, not only at Camp Hero, but also as an instructor at Madison College, what advice would you give to faculty and instructors that, that are in, you know, faculty and instructors in non-traditional occupation programs with maybe one or two women in, in their classroom, especially maybe male instructors? Well, the, the first thing
1: about any student is don't make the assumption that they're like you just because they're in the program that you teach. You, you can't do that. Everybody has their own individual story um, and, and I, I understand what it's like to be a busy faculty member um, and, and getting to know your students can be really difficult, especially when you only have them for one semester. Um, but in the case of a, a non traditional career um it's really important to reach out to those that we know are minorities within the industry that they need some some special advice and mentoring um in negotiating that i mean just just by you know the perceptions in an interview um the the more feminine i look in an interview the the less likely i will be considered for the job and We, you know, in the city of Madison, we have bias training before our interviews, every single interview session, we have bias training. Um, So the city of Madison, I can say for sure, is trying to mitigate um, those issues in hiring, but I can't say that for the rest of the world. Um, So, so we want to be able to give um, the support, the listening ear um, to our students as well. And then in particular with those jobs that require um, physical skills, like y- y- you have to look at you know body mechanics and skeletal muscle um, and adjust because you know, I've, I have never been six foot. boy, I wish I was. I wish I was six foot tall or taller. Um, and so I don't really have any idea of what it's like to carry a ladder up to a roof if you're six feet tall and how your legs, Bending your legs can interfere with the climb because I don't have any problem with the climb. My challenge is is uh, getting leverage on the ladder that I'm carrying on my shoulder to actually get it up to the roof. So as an as a instructor, you need to look at those things and be patient and figure it out. Um, I had a a lieutenant on the job, um, one of a mentor throughout my career, Ron Schwinn, and um, he. He, he drilled us hard. He wanted to make sure that we knew our jobs, and I'm so grateful for it. Well, one day we were doing ladder work, and when we have extension ladders, and the extension ladders lock in with a, a, um, a thing called a dog, and the do- when the dogs are locked, then the, the ladder won't suddenly collapse. So the way that you know that the dogs are locked is you look at them. So as you raise the extension ladder, you tilt your head up and you look at the dogs and he noticed that I wasn't doing that. And he's like, Jen, that's basic. Why aren't you looking at the dogs? Well, here was the problem that he helped me eventually figure out and um, figured out a solution because I'm smaller size. When I wear my SCBA pack on my back and because I'm a woman and I have hips, the pack is up higher. And the SCBA bottle is up higher. So when I tilt my head back, the back of my helmet hits the bottle and I can't fully look up to see what's above my head. So when I put a ladder up, the first thing I have to do is loosen my SCBA straps and let it drop down further on my waist so that I can actually tilt my head back and look at the dogs. Interesting, huh?
0: Yeah, that's that's fascinating. But um, you know, I love Hearing that you know there there are workarounds, there are ways to address those differences. Um, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. I would love to know what would you like to leave our our listeners with, whether it be you know any more nuggets of advice for staff and faculty or to women that may be considering a, a field. Um, where they are a minority. The The honest truth is that you
1: already know what to do to make the world a better place. You know what you're able to do, what you're interested in doing, what you're capable of doing. So now I just challenge you all to do it.
0: Thank you again so much, Jen. For more information about our fire protection and EMS programs, you can visit madisoncollege.edu. And for more information about Camp Hero, you can go to gsbadgerland.org.